Ashley Fetters of GQ magazine wants to thank President Barack Obama. On Wednesday, she specifically expressed her gratitude to Obama for giving her the best sex of her life. In a column titled, Thanks Obama for Four Years of Glorious Worry-Free Sex, she praised Obama for ending her fears of accidental pregnancy. Here is her basic take, quote, Look, I don't have to tell you how quickly the fear of accidental, accidentally getting someone pregnant can kill your sex drive, but you know who's been out there for the last eight years tirelessly waging a war on this horrible, boner-killing feeling of dread? President Obama, if you've had sex with a woman in the last four years and found the encounter totally, gloriously unplagued by angst about the risk of surprise fatherhood, you probably owe Barrio a moment of gratitude. See, all irresponsible people who somehow disconnect sex with the risk of pregnancy could have their biologically-based fears alleviated by simply tipping their hats, so to speak, to the man who could cure it all, Barack Obama. What gave Obama this godlike power? Well, he wanted everyone else to pay for your contraceptives. Says Fetters, quote, As a result, the second term of Obama's presidency, and the year 2016 in particular, is already being called a golden age of birth control. Team Obama also gifted you a golden era of fun, low-risk banging with your wife, your girlfriend, or the friendly gal who was nice enough to accompany you home from the bar. Because, surprise, turns out we're all more fun to have sex with when we're not preoccupied with the worry of not accidentally creating babies. Actually, it turns out, speaking from personal experience, sex is actually kind of fun even when you're trying to have babies. And it's not actually up to the taxpayers to guarantee your level of fun. If you can only feel orgasmic, if you're not worried about baby making, here's a suggestion. Pay for your own contraceptives. It turns out society doesn't have much fun and much of an interest in upping your game. Plus, it turns out contraceptives don't actually protect you from the other risks associated with picking up randos in bars for a quickie. According to the CDC, STD rates are rising again. Now some stats. Despite Obama's massive coverage plan, nearly half of all pregnancies in 2011 were unintended. The rate of accidental pregnancy among poor women was 112 per 1,000, quintupled the rate among middle-class women. The accidental pregnancy rate among black women was 79 per 1,000. Yes, accidental, accidental pregnancy declined generally in slight fashion and among poor women more substantially under President Obama, but accidental pregnancy among poor women remained sky-high compared to the rest of the population which suggests that perhaps the big problem here is not access to contraceptives, but personal sexual choices. And the accidental pregnancy rate, it should be noted, has been dropping steadily since the 1980s, though it did accelerate that drop under President Obama. But there's another issue here, too. Who in the world declared that people have a right, quote, to have sex enthusiastically and fearlessly without concern about consequences on the taxpayer dime? It turns out sex often has consequences, but those consequences can be mitigated by a bit of personal responsibility. We are all capable of not putting that there without that thing on it. Contraceptives are cheap. They are widely available. And believe it or not, human beings are not animals who must have sex right now this very minute rather than using some self-restraint. But according to Fetters and much of the left, without Obama, we'd all be knocking each other up at insane rates. Here's what she says, quote, in other words, some 55 million American women may have to start choosing again between low-risk sex with men and all the other myriad out-of-pocket expenses of adult life. Anxiety-free sex or dinner on the table. Anxiety-free sex or the rent. For many women, these could soon become everyday trade-offs. Seriously? Really? The average rent in the United States as of 2013 was about 1200 bucks per month. Let's assume the average woman in the United States has sex a couple of times per week. That's probably on the upper end, or eight times per month. You can currently buy a 36-pack of Trojans on Amazon for under 14 bucks. So a full year of contraception, even if you're using Trojans during the non-fertile period, would be approximately $42. Realistically speaking, very few Americans are choosing between rent, 1200 bucks a month, and condoms, under 40 cents a pop. But when you worship government, you have to praise your God for his benevolence. And that means bowing before the big man who ensures you never have to worry about being punished with a baby. 
I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All righty. So we are going to get to people trying to burn themselves to death because Trump is going to be inaugurated. We will be getting to Vladimir Putin doing his best Donald Trump impersonation, really, uh, and all sorts of other goodies. But first, we have to say thank you to our friends over at Tracker. Tracker is the this device that allows you to keep track of all the things that you lose. It's a coin-sized device that locates misplaced keys and wallets and bags and computers, anything in seconds. You pair it to your smartphone, you attach it to anything, and you can find your precise location with the tap of a button. Also, if you attach it to your phone, there's something in the tracker that allows it to actually override your silent, uh, the silent setting on your phone. So if you call your phone from another phone, it'll ring through if you call and the tracker is on the phone, which is super cool. It's great for me because my wife loses her phone literally every day. The tracker has been one of the handiest devices that we have, and it has, uh, it has saved our marriage because there's nothing more irritating to me than spending 45 minutes looking around for her phone before she discovers it's exactly where she left it in her purse. Tracker solves that problem in about 10 seconds. And right now, if you listen to the show, you get a free Tracker Bravo with any order. You go to tracker.com, thetracker.com, T-H-E, tracker.com. You enter promo code BEN. And uh, if you get that, if you do that, you get a free Tracker Bravo with any order. Again, it makes losing things something you don't have to worry about anymore. TheTracker.com, enter promo code BEN, that shows that we sent you. And also, it means that uh, that you're never going to lose anything ever again. TheTracker.com slash BEN, get that free Tracker Bravo with uh, with your purchase over at TheTracker.com. Okay, so the Democrats are preparing for this inauguration, and the, the wailing and the gnashing of teeth is a sight to behold. I mean, it is utter madness. Uh, a dude actually tried to set himself on fire, apparently, in front of Trump Tower the other day. But being a Democrat, he even failed at this. So here is the dude setting himself on fire. I was trying to light myself on fire as an act of protest. As an act of protest. A protesting what? To protesting the, the fact that we've elected somebody who is completely incapable of of respecting the the constitution of the so United get, okay so you have to give it to the protesters of Vietnam in Vietnam particularly they actually set themselves on fire successfully uh, this dude couldn't even set himself on fire successfully so uh, Darwin nearly accomplished his mission but apparently when you're too stupid to actually set yourself on fire successfully you don't take yourself out of the gene pool so uh, this dude tried to set himself on fire but being a good leftist is incapable of actually immersing himself in, in fire. He's self-immolating. His self-immolation was as much of a failure as Hillary's campaign. So, well done there, sir. Uh, other lefties who are very upset, Snoop Dogg is very upset that he may not be invited to the White House to toke. Uh, and so he is, uh, he's threatening any black performer who performs at the inauguration. He's saying that he will bring the, the vast wealth of his rage down upon their benighted heads. Here is Snoop Dogg, one of our great cultural icons, uh, speaking about what he's going to do to stop the Trump inauguration. So ain't nobody going to perform for Donald Trump, huh? Which one of you going to be the first one to do it? I'm waiting. I'm going to roast the fuck out one of you. Uncle Tom for doing Which They're one all of you is going to do it first? He's going to roast him. the one that performs for him, sir. No, nothing says racial unity quite like calling people who want to give Trump a chance an Uncle Tom. And 
Really, I mean, I can see why Barack Obama invited Snoop Dogg to the White House so many times. He did. Snoop Dogg was at the White House multiple times. Um, but I guess that means that, that Snoop Dogg is now a political commentator. I'd like to see Mark Lamont Hill and Michael Eric Dyson talk about why Snoop Dogg should shut up about politics, since clearly he doesn't know anything, or if they only reserve their ire and scorn for Steve Harvey and Jim Brown. Meanwhile, actual top-level Democrats continue to say that they're not going to legitimate the Trump presidency. They're very, very upset about the Trump presidency. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, she says that she won't say that Trump is a legitimate president. Do you believe Trump is a legitimate president? What I believe is that there's no question that the outcome of this election was affected by the Russian interference with the campaign. Do you, is he a legitimate president then or not? I mean, is there, is there a distinction between those two things in your mind? I, I'm not going to use. Uh, I'm not going to weigh in on the application of the term legitimate or not. And if someone is qualified to weigh in on whether something is legitimate, it is certainly the woman who helped rig the primaries against Bernie Sanders in favor of Hillary Clinton and then had to resign her post as head of the DNC because of it. She clearly has a leg to stand on talking about legitimacy. She's not the only one. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer from New York, uh, he says that he respects all of the inauguration boycotters because, hey, Trump isn't really that legitimate. So I respect where they're coming from. I mean, I think each person has to make his or her choice on his own, but I don't begrudge those who have said they're going to boycott. Would you urge Senate Democrats to attend? Let each person make his or her own decision. And he says that uh, he didn't say he's going to order Senate Democrats to go to the inauguration, but none of the senators are actually boycotting because a lot of them are vulnerable, and the last thing they want to do is tick off those voters in the middle. So there is Chuck Schumer saying that this is illegitimate. So the Democrats have built up this entire big narrative about how this election was illegitimate because of Russian hacking, because of WikiLeaks sponsored by Russia hacking the DNC and hacking John Podesta's emails, and therefore this election is illegitimate and Trump's an illegitimate president. Well, along comes Barack Obama. Barack Obama has, because he's actually capable, set his own party on fire. Unlike self-immolation guy who couldn't even set himself on fire successfully, Barack Obama didn't try to set himself on fire. He set all the other Democrats on fire, destroyed them down ballot, destroyed them in the House, destroyed them in the Senate, 241 members of the Republican House, 52 members of the Republican Senate, 32 governorships owned by Republicans. Barack Obama lost Democrats 1,000 seats across the country. And on his way out the door, he wants to torch their only narrative, too. So their narrative right now is that Trump is totally illegitimate because the Russians hacked the election. So, WikiLeaks are bad, right? I mean, this is what we've been hearing for the past few months. WikiLeaks are just the worst thing in the world. According to the left, WikiLeaks are now terrible because WikiLeaks impact the election. And WikiLeaks are working hand-in-glove with the Russians to help Donald Trump. So Barack Obama, he comes along, and his last move in office, hopefully it'll be one of his last moves in office because he still has 48 hours to screw things up some more. His last move is that he, he pardons, or doesn't pardon, he commutes the sentence for Chelsea Manning, who is the traitor who handed a lot of the original information to WikiLeaks, including the names of American soldiers, including confidential information about American ops that put American lives in harm's way, including information that Osama bin Laden himself said he found valuable. Chelsea Manning, who was then private first-class Bradley Manning, uh, gave all this information to WikiLeaks. And Barack Obama was the guy who was actually in office when, when Bradley Manning was put in jail. Then, of course, Bradley Manning decides that Bradley Manning is transgender. Bradley Manning believes that he's a woman now, and so he calls himself Chelsea Manning. So I call him Chelsea Manning now because it is possible in, in America and everywhere else to change your name. It is not possible to change your sex. So he's a man, and his name is Chelsea Manning if he wants to be called Chelsea Manning, just like Caitlyn Jenner is a man who calls himself Caitlyn Jenner. So just to put the transgender stuff to the side for a second. Here is the problem for Barack Obama. 
So the entire left has now made this case that WikiLeaks is the worst thing that ever was in the history of mankind. It's terrible, 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 terrible. They impacted the election. They've destroyed everything. And then along comes Obama, and he says, oh, yeah, the WikiLeaks guy, you know, the one who's in jail and endangered American national security and put American soldiers in harm's way? Yeah, I'm going to let him out. So WikiLeaks is okay as long as it endangers American soldiers, but it's not okay when they're hacking John Podesta's emails about spirit dinners, about spirit cooking. Right? That's when WikiLeaks becomes bad. It exposes the entire Democratic routine about how terrible WikiLeaks is when he's releasing the WikiLeaks guy. He's releasing one of the lead WikiLeakers, and his excuse for doing so is really ridiculous. He says Manning is, is, feels bad about what Manning did, which is insane. Watch how long that lasts. In two seconds, Manning will be hired by New York University, probably, to lecture about terrorism and war. He'll become a professor That's a, and, and talk about He'll be Bill Ayers. Right? This, is, this is not a situation where Chelsea Manning is somehow really, really sorry about what Chelsea Manning did here. That's, that's ridiculous. They also said that Chelsea Manning had served part of, of his sentence. Uh, it was a 35-year sentence. He served seven years. But really what this was about, in large part, was the fact that Chelsea Manning was transgender. So... The, the left values transgender politics above all else. LGBT politics matter more than anything else. It's, a, it's literally a get-out-of-jail-free card in this particular scenario. So Chelsea Manning uh, has had some hormone treatments. I don't believe Chelsea Manning has had the snip-snip, but I think Chelsea Manning has had the hormone treatments. And that means that Chelsea Manning must be let out of prison, lest Chelsea Manning be in a men's prison and be a man who thinks he's a woman. That, that would be absolutely terrible, so the left wants to let Chelsea Manning out of prison. And this, of course, undercuts the entire Democratic case. So they're saying Trump's illegitimate because of WikiLeaks. But WikiLeaks is so not a problem that we can release the WikiLeaks guy. It shows the hypocrisy on the part of the left. Now, there's hypocrisy on the right, too. So the right has determined that Julian Assange is a hero now. Sean Hannity wants Julian Assange pardoned. Sean Hannity thinks Julian Assange is wonderful now. So is Sean Hannity all that mad about Chelsea Manning being let out of prison? Is, is Sean Hannity, And what excuse does he have if he is angry that Chelsea Manning was let out. So it's okay when people are hacking uh, American institutions like the DNC, but bad when they're revealing secrets about the army? Is that the way this works? There's a lot to, to toss over here. And then we have to get to what, what is Barack Obama's actual true motive in all of this. And we'll get to that in just a second. But first, we have to say thank you to another one of our advertisers. This, of course, is Ring. So if you, I've talked about the Ring of Security Kit and what Ring does for me. We use Ring at home all the time. We have this put on our front gate, and it's fantastic. It means that we can always check to see who's dropping off a package. Uh, we, are, we have cons- security concerns, and we've had a lot of death threats. And Ring helps us deal with that because a lot of the people who are, who are there to burglarize the house or who are there to, to do something nefarious – First of all, there's a camera on the property. Second of all, a lot of them ring the doorbell to see whether you're home or not. And what Ring does is it rings to your phone. So you can act like you're home or you can see who's there. You have an eye on your property at all times. They also have an advanced motion detection technology that comes with the Ring of Security Kit. And it includes a Ring video doorbell for the front door and a Ring stick-up cam and the wireless weatherproof HD camera, which keeps an eye on other parts of your property. As I say, you know, I have a, a wife and two kids under three at home, and so I'm vastly interested in security. Ring helps me feel secure. I've bought extra Ring products for my house because I think that Ring is such a good product. Go to ring.com slash Ben right now, and if you do, you get 150 bucks off your kit, which is a pretty good deal. Ring.com slash Ben for 150 bucks off your kit. It helps prevent home burglaries. It helps... Ensure that your property is safe at all times. You can always keep an eye on who's there. Ring.com slash Ben for 150 bucks off your security kit and to thank them for sponsoring our show. Okay, so I want to get to President Obama's actual motive in all of this. What does Obama want from the Chelsea Manning pardon? So I think that Barack Obama 
is vastly interested in just undermining the national defense of the country. I, I really think that President Obama does not believe that the national defense of the country is as important as the social justice that he pursues. This is why he's used the Department of Defense as a sort of testing ground for various social justice theories. I'm getting all sorts of emails, by the way, from, from soldiers the last couple of days who are saying that they're being, they're, they're being trained on the, this new transgender policy put in by President Obama. And it basically says that soldiers have no right to privacy, that now if you have a man who's in the female bathroom, that all the women just have to deal with it. Okay, this is Barack Obama not attempting to make the military stronger. It's Barack Obama attempting to use the military as a sort of laboratory experiment for his politics. And he's done this throughout. He doesn't care if he endangers the national security of the United States by sending terrorists abroad and shutting down Gitmo. He doesn't care if he endangers the national security of our allies. In fact, one of the other people that Obama pardoned yesterday, one of the people Obama pardoned yesterday, was this general, Cartwright, who helped leak to the New York Times all the information about the Stuxnet virus that Israel and the United States cooperated on in order to hamper the Iranian nuclear program. Obama pardoned that guy. Why? Because Obama hates Israel and he likes Iran. He thinks Iran should be a regional power. So President Obama, this is all part and parcel of Obama's dual goal here, which is social justice warrior stuff with the army, which which makes them the happiest. I mean, if the social justice warriors can take over that repository of machismo and militarism, the U.S. military, then they can take over anything. And so Obama takes a little bit of glee in doing that. Beyond that, President Obama really doesn't care much about the safety and security of the country. He thinks that safety and security of the country is achieved through softness. He thinks it's achieved through kindness and generosity, that it's not achieved through by being the scariest guy on the block, which, of course, is idiotic. But the left is beginning to realize that what Obama just did really hurts the left. Jake Tapper over on CNN He says this man in commutation, it really destroys President Obama's entire line that he cares about leaks. And it also destroys the entire Democratic line that they care about leaks. Commuting the sentence of one of the most notorious leakers. You could argue that Chelsea Manning did it for a good reason to expose war crimes or or whatever case you want to make. But but it, it certainly contradicts the last eight years of policy in terms of leaking. And it absolutely does, of course. He's not the only one saying this. Bob Menendez, Democrat of New Jersey, he's puzzled by this, too. He says, I'm not sure what message this is supposed to send to WikiLeaks. We're trying to police WikiLeaks, and here you are releasing the WikiLeaker. What Russia did as it relates to our recent elections and the role that WikiLeaks in a different iteration has uh, played in that regard, I'm not sure what type of message we send here. And so I'm really uh, surprised that the president took the... And I have concerns about what message we send about ultimately revealing a sensitive national security documents. Again, the Democrats don't know what to do with President Obama, and he doesn't care about them. He only cares about his own legacy. He pleased the far left. As CNN's Jeff Zelani said, he said, it's almost impossible to imagine this commutation happens in the first place if Chelsea Manning is just a dude and doesn't and doesn't believe he's a woman. You have to wonder if the outcome would be the same. I mean, because I think it she might transitioned. Be. Exactly, because yeah. she transitioned from a man to a woman, I think that certainly played into this. Without that, it's hard to imagine. I think this president would have done that. So O.J. Simpson is busily attempting to cut off his own dinghy right now so that he can earn a commutation from President Obama at the last minute. If only Julian Assange had decided that he was a woman and gotten some boob implants, then maybe President Obama would consider letting him off the hook as well. We have to break here at Facebook and YouTube, but we have much more coming up about the inauguration. Uh, We have a lot more coming up about Vladimir Putin and about delusional Democrats. And 
a pretty epic things I hate today. So we'll have to go to dailywire.com to check that out or to listen later on iTunes and SoundCloud. Subscribe at iTunes. And you review us at iTunes. We know you love us, so make sure that you send a five-star review in over at iTunes if you're a fan. Dailywire.com is where you subscribe. $8 a month. And for that $8 a month, you not only get to see the rest of the show live right now, right this instant. You don't have to wait for us to post it later. You also get to be part of the mailbag tomorrow. You also get a free signed copy of my book, True Allegiance. And we have some more goodies that are coming out. The Shapiro store is going to be opening in just the next couple of weeks. And we have other benefits that are coming as well. You get to see Andrew Clavin's show live in color. Uh, and his show is great as well. You get to be part of the mailbag on his show. He and I are going to start launching some, some additional kind of content that we're going to be putting out uh, for subscribers only. So go to dailywire.com right now and subscribe. We are the largest conservative podcast in the United States. So it is amusing to watch Democrats run around like chickens with their heads cut off on this whole WikiLeaks thing. But as I say, there's hypocrisy on the right side of the aisle, too, because hypocrisy, if, if, if Trump has done anything and if Obama have done anything, they are an acid test for hypocrisy. Now you get to determine who's a hypocrite and who's not. And the bottom line is, as always, our constant theme here on The Ben Shapiro Show, everyone's a hypocrite. Everybody's a hypocrite, it turns out. Republicans are hypocrites. They like Julian Assange now because he was mean to Hillary Clinton, but they want Chelsea Manning to stay in prison. Democrats want Chelsea Manning out, but they're very concerned about Julian Assange. So it's amazing how the outcome of the leak seems to matter more than the actual leaking itself. Demonstrative of the fact that most Americans actually don't know much about politics or care much about it. This is, this is kind of fascinating. So there's a new poll out. I, th- I think that one of the mistakes that people like me have made historically is we assume that the American people actually have political theories, that they actually listen to theories about what politics are, that they actually care about political philosophy. And the fact is that most Americans really don't. Most Americans really don't. That doesn't mean they're making terrible decisions on every front. It just means that they're really malleable. And that's why leadership matters. That's why there are a lot of people who are hoping we're going to talk about hopes and fears for the Trump administration, a lot of people are hoping that Donald Trump's kind of mouthing off on Twitter, that it's just him mouthing off on Twitter and that the policy will actually be very good. And there's a real possibility that that happens, that the people who actually shape the policy are his appointees, that it's a bunch of regulators that he appoints and that Tom Price at HHS is the person who creates the Obamacare replacement and that it's people like Rick Perry determining policy at the Department of Energy and that and that General Mattis over at, at Defense is helping determine our foreign policy. And it's very possible all that's true. It's also a real concern that the president of the United States has an enormous amount of power to shape public opinion in really bad ways or really good ways. And that matters. And that matters because the American public doesn't watch this stuff all that closely. So right now, the first poll since 2009 has come out that shows that that a plurality of Americans think Obamacare is a good idea. Really, this is a new poll from The Wall Street Journal, 45 to 41, a plurality of Americans think that Obamacare is a good idea or a, as opposed to a bad idea. And so that, that's, that's a new move, and that's largely because the press have decided that they're going to do an all-out push on good news about Obamacare because they, they love Obamacare. So they, they sort of covered Obamacare, its flaws, for the last several years, but now they're not going to do that anymore. They're just going to talk about how Obamacare is great, so when Trump repeals it and when, when Republicans appeal, repeal it, that sinks their approval rating. And you can see that the public is open to being shaped on this. When Donald Trump says things like he wants to make sure that every single person has insurance, when he says every single person should have insurance, that will shape how Americans think about all of this. Jimmy Kimmel does a routine on his show where he asks people whether they like Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act 
when he, and when he poses them as alternatives, people say they like the Affordable Care Act, but they don't like Obamacare. They're exactly the same thing. Okay, polls show Americans don't know much about any of this. Polls also show, for example, and they're all over the place, polls show that most Americans don't think that Donald Trump should sell his businesses. There's a poll from, I think this one is from the ABC News and the Washington Post. It shows 52% of respondents think Trump has done enough about his businesses. Only 42% want him to sell, but 44% believe that his family and advisors are not following federal ethics laws compared to 43% who think they are complying. If that makes any sense to you, then you're the only one. All of which demonstrates that the American public, when it comes to politics, are highly malleable. And that means that the president of the United States actually matters. And so the question is, how are we going to approach the presidency? And my case is that we should approach the presidency the same way we approach Obama, as we approach Bush. The name on the, on the door of the Oval Office doesn't change how you approach the presidency. If something smart is said, you praise it. If something good is said, you praise it. If something stupid is said, you criticize it. You don't just go along with the rhetoric because you're hoping to get good policy. Because that is not your job. Maybe that's the job of people in Congress. That's not your job. It's not my job. Our job is to call out falsehood where we see it. Because truth can only win in the end if it sees the light of day. And trading truth away for a couple of policy things that you want in the long run is not going to help you. Because falsehood comes back as policy. Falsehood swings back around as policy. So in the short run, you may get what you want. But if you're promulgating a falsehood in order to achieve that, then in the end, the falsehood will end up biting you directly on the bottom. So I think the, the proper attitude going into the inauguration is cautious optimism, meaning or skeptical optimism. I trust but verify, as Reagan would put it. Let's, let's see what Trump does. Let's be optimistic about all the things he can do, because the fact is he has an open field. He, has, he can do some broken fields running now. And the fact is that he, he's got the Senate. He's got the House. He's got... Uh, he's got a huge majority of state legislatures behind him. He can do pretty much anything he wants legislatively. Now let's see him perform. Britt Hume says, you know, we're going to have to give Trump a chance. Let's give him another look. So I think, you know, he need he, people need to take another look at this. Yeah. Man. There's more to well, him than they do. thought, I think. That I doesn't think mean he's going to, he, he may not, he may be a failed president. Right. But I think well, it's way too early to make that projection now. Give him a chance. Exactly. That's, that's what exactly. fairness in our republic is. Just give him a chance, see what he does. Giving him a chance does not mean signing off on everything. It doesn't mean signing off on everything. It does mean ignoring some of his, some of his silliness that doesn't matter. So, for example, Donald Trump says things on a routine basis that are clearly not true, but they don't really matter. And so we're going to make an attempt to sort of ignore these things and not give them a lot of credence because they're silly. Right? So here's Donald Trump, for example, talking about tweeting. Here's what he had to say about tweeting. He says uh, he doesn't like tweeting. This is clip 10. What about Twitter? Um, you going to continue to tweet? Yeah. Look, I don't like tweeting. I have other things I could be doing. <laughs> but I get very dishonest media, very dishonest press. And it's my only way that I can counteract. Okay, so again, this is the kind of stuff we're going to have to ignore. When he says things like, I don't like tweeting, of course, that's bull. Okay, he loves tweeting. It's his favorite thing in the universe to do. It's why he's up at 3 a.m. doing it. Let's stop pretending that he doesn't love tweeting. Of course he loves tweeting, and he loves the battle. And that's okay. That's not a huge deal. This is one of those things I'm saying where it's a fib, and it's annoying because I don't like untruth, but it's a small fib that doesn't really matter very much. Here's another kind of Trumpian small fib that doesn't matter very much. It sort of lends to the overall aura that, that you're not being told the truth. But again, I think this is a small thing that doesn't matter very much. Here's Donald Trump talking about how he wants his inauguration to go. He's a man of the people. I asked him some fun questions. I have a couple yeah. of them. Trump on these... Well, Hollywood snowflakes not going to the inauguration. Here's his answer to that. 
It's very interesting what's happening. Just so you understand about the celebrities, like I read where some of them decided they told us they're not going to sing. They were never asked to sing. All of these like so-called, you know, celebrities, they're all saying, well, I don't want to go. But uh, one of them said, well, I have them. I'm not going to sing. They were never asked to sing. Uh, many of the celebrities that are saying they're not going, they were never invited. Well, I don't want the celebrities. I want the people. And we have the biggest celebrities in the world. This is his new routine. Uh, no, that's not true. He did want celebrities. He originally said he was going to be it was going to be star studded. It was going to be a festival of lights, uh, and that's not what it is. Again, is this a thing that matters? No, it doesn't matter. It's it's Trump rewriting history, but we're going to have to get used to that. It's what he does. And then there are things that do matter. There are things that do matter. So Vladimir Putin is now the biggest Trump defender, and this should not be something that makes you happy. I understand there are a lot of people who have suddenly fallen in love with Vladimir Putin, who is a thug. Uh, he's a KGB thug who wants to expand Russia's borders. He murders his political opponents. He kills dissidents. He imprisons people he doesn't like. And now I understand there are a bunch of people on the right who are very fond of Vladimir Putin because Vladimir Putin is for Trump, which is just pure partisan hackery. The, the, the closeness between Trump and Putin, I don't know that there's anything corrupt there. It's very possible, very possible. In fact, this is sort of my theory. My working theory is the reason that Trump likes Putin is because Putin is Trump. The reason that Trump likes Putin is because Putin does a great job of personality mirroring Trump. And Trump sees himself in Putin, that he's a strong man who will never back down. It's almost impossible to watch this next clip that we're going to show you of Vladimir Putin talking and not see Donald Trump talking. Here's Vladimir Putin. He's doing a press conference and the topic of Donald Trump and the Russian, the, the, the ridiculous Russian hooker story comes up. And here's Vladimir Putin talking. Putin straight away rushed to meet with Moscow prostitutes. This is an adult man, first of all. And apart from that is a man who for many years took part in organizing beauty contests. He has socialized with the most beautiful women in the world. I find it difficult to believe that he ran to a hotel to meet with our girls of reduced social responsibility. Although here we also have the best ones in the world. Okay, there's a, a, people who order hoaxes of the kind that are now spread against the United States president-elect, who fake them, spread against the United States, and use them in political struggle, are worse than prostitutes. Okay, not that that comes directly from the Donald Trump playbook of politics, but if I literally read that in Donald Trump's voice, you would think that Donald Trump said that. Right. There's there, it, it, that's that's what it is. Right. I mean, he's Trump arrived and straightaway rushed to meet with Moscow prostitutes. This is an adult man, first of all. And apart from that, I'm a man who for many years I took part in organizing beauty contests. I have socialized with the most beautiful women in the world. I find it difficult to believe you, you think I ran to a hotel to meet with girls of reduced social responsibility, although I will say we have the best ones, the best, the greatest. Maybe the reason that Putin likes Trump and Trump's like Putin is because they like, they're actually like each other. They like each other because they are actually like each other. That's something to keep an eye on, okay? So this is serious stuff. This part is not serious because you have Vladimir Putin talking about the quality of Russian whores, but it is a serious concern because it'll actually impact policy, because it'll actually impact policy. Again, the White House is now saying that Vladimir Putin is getting his talking points from Trump and... Far be it from me to agree with the White House, but when Vladimir Putin is ripping into fake news reports about Donald Trump, I don't remember 
Vladimir Putin defending Barack Obama this way or George W. Bush this way or Hillary Clinton this way. But mm, so th- this is a this is a running concern. It is a running concern. Now, meanwhile, the Democrats don't know how to separate the wheat from the chaff. So instead of giving Trump a fair shot and saying, let's call him out when he does something terrible and let's and let's praise him when he does something right. Instead of them saying, let's try to work with him to craft the best policy. Instead, you have the Democrats losing their minds and acting like complete tools. So Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, Focahontas, as we like to call her, she was was at a hearing for Betsy DeVos. Betsy DeVos is, is Trump's pick for Secretary of Education. And after the hearing concludes, Betsy DeVos goes up to shake the hands with the senators. Here's what happens when she approaches Elizabeth Warren. DeVos shakes hands with a bunch of people at Al Franken and, and company. And you're going to see she, she goes up to shake hands with Elizabeth Warren, and Elizabeth Warren just gives her the, the, the hand. Because Elizabeth Warren is a nasty piece of goods. I know Elizabeth Warren. She was a professor when I was in law school. She was nasty then, she's nasty now. So being nasty is not going to win them any battles. John Kerry being delusional is also not going to win them any battles. Secretary of State John F. Kerry. He was in Davos, riding around on his bicycle. Did you know he served in Vietnam? And he says that we shouldn't worry about Donald Trump. Don't worry, he'll be gone in maybe one or two years, and it doesn't matter. You know, my face may be undergoing some sort of catastrophic structural collapse, but long before it slides all the way to the floor, Donald Trump will be gone. Here we go. People here, Mr. Secretary, myself included, who are walking around with a pit in their stomach, a fear that so many of the things you just articulated and achieved could be reversed in a week. I don't believe there will be. I just don't believe that. Um, I mean, take Iran, for instance. If the United States were to decide suddenly and say, hey, we're not going to pursue this and so forth, I'll bet you, I haven't talked to all of them, but I'll bet you that... Our friends and allies who negotiated this with us will get together and that Russia, China, Germany, France and Britain will say, you know what, this is a good deal. We're going to keep it. And Iran and the rest of them, they will keep it. And we'll have made ourselves the odd person out. We'll have injured our own credibility in conceivably irreparable way. Not irreparable. Things, time and that's just too dramatic. But uh, but we will have done great injury to ourselves. And it will hurt for the endurance of, of, you know, a year, two years, whatever, while the administration is there. But it's unnecessary because... Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just sort of slides it what? in there. These people... He says. And for however long the administration is there, one or two... And he's saying it in Davos. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to win the, the hearts and minds of those voters in Ohio. You know, the ones who are concerned about their jobs. Is, he, is John Kerry in Davos talking about why Trump will be... Go- Trump's not going anywhere, gang. Trump will be there all four years. Unless there's some sort of catastrophic health thing, God forbid, Trump is going to be there all four years. He's not going anywhere. You want to know reason number one? Because if you think Republicans are going to stand up to Donald Trump and impeach him, you are out of your damn mind. Okay, it ain't going to happen. Donald Trump, they, they, you could show Republicans at this point a signed check from Vladimir Putin to Donald Trump, and Republicans would not impeach Donald Trump. He's going to be there all four years. Okay, that's, that's, that's at the very baseline practical level. But Democrats have convinced themselves that they must be living in some sort of awful dream, and so all of this will just come crashing down around them. They've also loosed the insane. So Tucker Carlson, uh, he, uh, I'm, I'm 
I've been critical of Tucker Carlson before, but this was damn hilarious. Tucker Carlson was on Fox News last night with Shia LaBeouf, uh, and he is not actually Shia LaBeouf, although you could be forgiven. Uh, but Shia LaBeouf uh, lookalike, and this this Shia LaBeouf lookalike is is somebody who's supposed to be organizing a protest. It turns out he's just a complete nut job. He's a complete whack job. And here is Tucker Carlson making his patented confused and, and puzzled face at, at Shia LaBeouf, and it's pretty funny. What is the real story here? Why are you doing this? What point are you trying to make? Yeah. Uh, the main point basically is that um, we are greatly, greatly supportive of national treasures such as Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, Peyton Manning. Right. And we really support their efforts to uh, really get the truth out there. And in the case of the current client that we have right now, uh, that client is um, very interested in releasing the, the Roswell papers. <laughs> Know it. Really? So you're pretty supportive of Peyton Manning, are you? Extremely, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to, I mean, obviously, this is performance art. I will say you're pretty good at it. When you convince papers like the Washington Times, which ran this pretty straight, to run your lies, to run this hoax, which I will concede is kind of amusing, what was the point of that? I mean, beyond just amusing yourself. Are you trying to make a political statement? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty pretty darn easy these days to just say whatever the heck you want on national TV and have it pass yeah. off as truth. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, it's pretty, uh, I don't know, it's just pretty incredible to me how easy it was to get the coverage we got. By the way, yeah. I'm not saying any of this is a hoax or any of this isn't true. <laughs> We've actually got 100,000 protesters going to Washington, D.C. to uh -huh. fight anybody who is opposed to Donald Trump. I mean, the reason we shifted, another main reason uh -huh. we shifted uh, from being against Trump to Trump about 30 minutes ago was basically uh, we realized initially he didn't really like... Um, he didn't really like Julian Assange or Peyton Manning, and uh, when he kind of changed, when the election and the Assange uh, connection was made, he essentially became a supporter of Assange, and so we are now supporting Trump in the hope that the Roswell documents uh, from 1947 are finally uh, released and put back into the hands of um, Fisher Stevens. Okay, all, all credit to this guy. Okay, so, so I gotta say, all credit to the, He's clearly... This can't be real, right? I mean, he's clearly just on there for, for a joke. And it's, it's funny because everybody's taking it real seriously. But when you watch this, there's no way to watch this and not realize that even Tucker has been had, right? Tucker, like, I think Tucker is realizing halfway through this that this guy actually is like a performance artist and that he's, and that he, the, the whole thing is, is ridiculous. It is off the rails. He calls himself this guy Dom Talipso. That's what he calls himself, Dom Talipso. And I love that he says that he, uh, he, he did it a, a, again. A little bit later, in the, he did it a couple times in the interview where he calls Chelsea Manning Peyton Manning and says he shifted to being pro-Trump because they want the Roswell documents released. Pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Okay, so that's that's all good stuff. The problem is that it's almost impossible to tell Shia LaBeouf here from Shia LaBeouf in Nympho, um, from Shia LaBeouf in, in Indiana Jones and the, and the Crystal Skull of Horror. So, it's, so the, in other words, all the Democrats are acting like crazy people. How can you tell the difference between fake Shia LaBeouf here and self-immolating guy at the beginning of the show? You can't, because they're all part of the same party. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things I hate, and then we'll talk some bibbles. So, things I like. Let's do it. So, my friend Yehuda Reamer, uh, who I used to work with over at Truth Revolt, he's come out with a new children's book that is guaranteed to drive the left insane. Uh, it's a children's book called Safety On, an introduction to the world of firearms for children. 
and it actually is a good introduction to what guns mean and why you have to be safe with them and how guns work and what they do for kids. And it's well illustrated. It's out right now at Amazon. So if you have a, a young kid you want to introduce to firearms and you're not sure how to do that without it being scary and freaky, uh, then this book is for you. Safety on by my friend Yehuda Reamer. Check that out. Also, things I like, uh, the, the Democrats were losing their minds. Speaking of guns, the Democrats were absolutely losing their minds uh, because Betsy DeVos, the incoming possible Secretary of Education, uh, she says that uh, she, she's asked about firearms in school by Christopher Murphy of Connecticut, who's one of the guys who's pushed because he's from Connecticut. Uh, he's pushed for gun-free zones at schools because of Sandy Hook. He questions Betsy DeVos and listen to her answer. The left loses it over this. If, if the underlying question is... Um, you, can't say that, you can't say definitively today that guns shouldn't be in schools? Well, I, I will refer back to uh, Senator Enzi and the school that he was talking about in Wapiti, Wyoming. I think probably there, I, I would imagine that there's probably a gun in the school to protect from potential grizzlies. If President, if President Trump moves forward with his plan to ban gun-free school zones, will you support that proposal? Um, I will support what the president-elect does, but... Senator, if if the question is around um, gun violence and uh, the results of that, please know that I, I my heart bleeds and and is uh, broken for those families that have lost any individual due to gun violence. I look forward and, to working with you, but I also look forward to you coming to Connecticut and talking about the role of guns in schools. Okay, so, so the Democrats are very upset about this. DeVos is totally right, of course. They all have these gun-free zones. It turns out the gun-free zone in Sandy Hook didn't do a damn thing. It was a gun-free zone. There was a sign outside. I've been to colleges where you walk on campus and it says gun-free zone. And I think to myself, yeah, now I feel safe. Now I feel really secure. This is why I have security guards, even at the gun-free zones of the universities. So good for Betsy DeVos for not giving in on that. Other things that I like, uh, I was on Martha McCallum's show last night. You can check it out at dailywire.com. Um, I'm not going to show tape of myself because that would be even too arrogant for me. Um, but uh, all, all I'll say is that I'm a handsome and brilliant fellow. So just go to, go to dailywire.com and you can check out the actual video. There's me looking quite studly. I should have tied my tie a little bit tighter there, though. You can see the upper button. In any case, and now let's do some things that I hate. So, uh, I, w I went to La La Land. I just felt like I had to tell this story, and I didn't know where to put it in the show. So, I'm just going to toss it in now. So, things I hate. Have you ever been to a movie where people just start shouting at each other in the back of the theater? It's really irritating. So, I hate when people talk at the theater. In fact, it's, uh, I will tut-tut my wife if she starts talking in the theater. If she starts whispering in the theater, I'll kind of tell her that we're in a theater. Uh, some people, for some reason, think it's okay to talk in the theater. So, we, we were at La La Land over the weekend, and... In the middle of the movie, we're about two-thirds through the two -thirds of the way through the movie, we're sitting like in the middle of the theater. In the back, we suddenly hear this guy just get up and start screaming at someone else. If you're going to talk through the entire effing film, then just get the F out. Right? And like really lose it, cursing, screaming in the back. First of all, is it the arc light? So at the arc light, I will just say that there are attendants. If you have a problem, go talk to the attendant. You don't have to disturb the entire theater just because this guy's disturbing you. But I have to say, I wasn't sure whether to put this in things I like or things I hate because I have to admire the enthusiasm of someone who is watching a movie musical and screaming about talking in the back. Right? Well, it wasn't Die Hard, right? He's not in the middle of Die Hard and it's like a bunch of testosterone-ridden macho dudes who are sitting, in the, sitting around going, growling at each other. Instead, it's somebody in the back saying, I was enjoying the orchestration! Get the F out! The bright colors and the color palette really had me going. 
That's some serious enthusiasm about movie musicals, so applause for that person. So I like that guy. Um, it may or may not have been me. I, I will not I will not say. In any case, other things that I hate. So HBO has this new show. I, I love a lot of HBO's shows. They have this new show called The Young Pope. Uh, it looks like absolute garbage. I'll watch the entire show or part of the show before I comment, but just this clip. It demonstrates the cowardice of Hollywood in, in, in a nutshell. Here, here's a bit of the clip. There's Jude Law playing the We have the forgotten Pope. to masturbate. <laughs> to use contraceptives. To get abortions. To celebrate gay marriages. To allow priests to love each other and even to get married. We have forgotten that we can decide to die if you detest living. We have forgotten to have sexual relations for purposes other than procreation without feeling guilty. To divorce. To let none say mass. To make babies in all the ways science has discovered and will continue to discover, in short, my dear, dear children, not only have we forgotten to play, we have forgotten to be happy. So, again, this is it. So, the premise of the show is First American Pope. It's a young guy, and he just overturns everything that the Catholic Church stands for. And it's supposed to be making fun of the, the papal hierarchy, the idea that the Pope could come in and just overturn centuries of doctrine just because he feels like it. And, of course, they have to mock Christianity in doing so. And, of course, this is the, the press just thinks this is the bravest, most wonderful thing. They think that this is just – it's just them standing up to power. It's demonstrating how corrupt the church is because if they weren't corrupt, then they would have – then they really would have embraced all of these things a long time ago. This is his, – his homily – is, uh, so, so this is actually part of his dream, apparently. This is what he dreams that he could say, but then he goes out and he doesn't deliver that dream. But the idea here is that if you were really honest, if the Catholic Church were really honest, they would just throw over the whole God shtick. They would throw over the whole Bible shtick, and they would instead embrace what we all know to be true, right, which is that abortions are totally cool and we should celebrate them. Just one note about the, the, the bravery of Hollywood in making this kind of turd. Hollywood would never in one million years, in one million years, make a show called The Young Imam. They would never, ever, ever do it. And they wouldn't even do it about things that actually need change in radical Islam. Not stuff that doesn't need change like, for example, the fact that the Catholic Church is not in favor of gay marriage. That's totally fine. Okay, I agree with that position. But things like honor killings in radical Islam. Imagine if they actually made a series that was about wasn't even a satire. It was just about the young imam, who's a young guy who decides that he doesn't even want to overthrow Islam. He just wants to moderate Islam and move it away from some of the more barbarous practices inhabited and, and used by, by radical Muslims in places like Afghanistan and Iraq. Do you think they'd ever have the courage to do that? They won't even draw Muhammad. Of course they would not have the courage to do that. If they did that, they would immediately be under death threat. They would immediately be threatened. They would immediately be killed. Everyone would call them racist and xenophobic. They don't understand the true nature of Islam. They don't understand the true nature of Islam. But they're happy to make the young pope and spend, I mean, it's a lush series. It looks like he spent tens of millions of dollars on the series. It's got Jude Law starring in it, for goodness sake. And that's not only considered great, it's considered brave. It's considered brave by all the reviewers. How brave of them to take on the Catholic Church by telling the left everything the left wants to believe about the Catholic Church. Forget about all the things the Catholic Church does in the modern world to actually alleviate poverty and help people. Forget about all of that. 
instead focus in on the fact that the Catholic Church doesn't like it when you kill babies and say that that's really terrible because we've forgotten how to live. Don't you understand? The essence of living is killing babies, and we've forgotten how to live. The left is so out of touch that they think that this is a sign of bravery rather than a sign of what it really is, closed-mindedness. Other things that I hate, Bernie Sanders attacked Betsy DeVos as well. This is the Secretary of Education. Uh, Bernie Sanders, I don't know why he's still here. Has he not gotten the memo? It's time for him to leave. But he's going to stick around forever. Here is Bernie Sanders attacking Betsy DeVos before he forgets where he is and suddenly starts talking about why do there need to be 73 flavors of ice cream when a good old chocolate milkshake will do, but not too much sugar. I have diabetes. Here he is. Would you be so kind as to tell us uh, how much money your family has contributed to the Republican Party over the years? Senator, first of all, thank you um, for that question. I'm again, was pleased to meet you in your office uh, last week. Um, I wish I could give you that number. I don't know. I have heard the number was 200 million. Does that sound in the ballpark? Collectively, between yeah, over my the years, entire yes. family? That's, that's possible. Okay. My question is, and I don't mean to be rude, but do you think if you were not a multi-billionaire, if your family has not made hundreds of millions of dollars of contributions to the Republican Party, that you would be sitting here today? Um, Senator, as a matter of fact, I do think that there would be that possibility. I've worked very hard on behalf of parents and, and children for the last almost 30 years to be a voice for parents and to voice for students and to empower parents to make decisions on behalf of their children. Yeah, I remember when primarily there, I, I remember when Janine Garofalo was going around campaigning with Bernie Sanders. At any point did he say, "What qualifies you to speak for me? You're in a bunch of crappy comedies no one has ever seen." <laughs> Democrats like Bernie Sanders, what is Bernie Sanders' qualification for making policy of any sort? Of any sort. I mean, the guy's wife made a college bankrupt. You know how hard it is to make a college bankrupt? Bernie Sanders has been a leech on society for the last 40 years, and he's talking about policy expertise. This is a guy who actually thinks that if you tax people at exorbitant rates, that grows the economy. So, no, this, this sort of stuff is really ridiculous. Okay, final note. We'll do a very quick Bible study thing here. Um, so, uh, the, this week's Bible portion, for those who, who don't know, is uh, every week the Jews, the Juden, read a, read a different portion of the Bible. And, uh, and the portion of the Bible that we are reading this week is the very beginning of the book of Exodus, right, the Shmos. So, beginning of the book of Exodus is all about, kind of, is Moses' origin story. It's really the only origin story that you see in the Bible other than David's. There's not a lot of origin stories in the Bible. You, you kind of get Abraham when he's fully formed. You get Jacob when he's when he's fully formed. He's already an adult. You get all the, you get all of the major characters fully formed. Moses is the only one where you get an origin story. And the reason you get an origin story for Moses is because he's supposed to be the model of not just Jewish leadership but leadership overall. And so you get a few interspersed things that happen when he's a very young man. He doesn't come back to the Jews until he's like 80 years old. So all this stuff that you get at the beginning is all the stuff that's happening early in his life. So we'll start with, we'll just flash a couple of different, a couple of different verses. So this is Exodus 2.11. It says, It came to pass in those days Moses grew up and went out to his brothers and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man of his brothers. He turned this way and that way, and he saw that there was no man. So he struck the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. He went out the second day, and behold, two Hebrew men were quarreling, and he said to the wicked one, Why are you going to strike your friend? And he retorted, Who made you a man, a prince, and a judge over us? Do you plan to slay me as you have slain the Egyptian? And so Moses runs away. So a couple of things about leadership that are obviously inherent to Moses that you see right away. First of all, he takes a, his whole reason for being. is not He's not eager for conflict, Moses. He's not eager to be the person who's the leader. This is actually the greatest thing about Moses. They talk about him in Judaism as being the most humble person who ever lived. 
And you can see it right here. He looks this way and he looks that way. And he sees there's no one. He's not looking around because he's afraid somebody's going to tell. Somebody does tell, right? Everybody knows about it. Everybody figures this out pretty quickly. What he's looking around for is anyone else going to do anything. And when he realizes there's no one else to pick up the baton, that's when he strikes and he kills the Egyptian person. He's constantly attempting to deflate conflict, to defuse conflict. In this particular case, he couldn't defuse the conflict, the conflict because it was an Egyptian beating a Jew. It wasn't a Jew hitting another Jew. You could defuse that conflict because... The two Jews see themselves as equals. In this particular case, it's an Egyptian overseer. He doesn't see himself as equal with the Hebrew, with the Jew. And so Moses has to go and kill him. But he does that once he realizes that it's his responsibility to act. Moses is a person who realizes it's his responsibility to act. Okay, just slightly later, Exodus 2.16. The, the, this is when Moses meets his wife. And it's the same sort of story. The chief of Midian had seven daughters. They came and drew water. They filled the troughs to water their daughter, their father's flocks. But the shepherds came and drove them away. So Moses arose and rescued them and watered their flocks. Again, this is a situation where Moses is coming in and he's taking care of the vulnerable, not because he thinks he's the only person capable of doing it, but because he is the only person capable of doing it. And so you see this, sort of, this guy who's willing to stand up to the occasion, but he's also somebody who's very shy about his relationship with God. He's not somebody – the best people are people who believe that God has chosen the wrong guy, basically. If you believe that God has chosen you to be the guy, you're not the guy. And this is what you see about Moses, right? Here's what Moses has to say a little bit later. This is Exodus 3.11. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should take the children of Israel out of Egypt? Well, the truth is, there's a pretty good case you should be the guy. Right? He grew up in Pharaoh's palace. No other Jew can say that. He's obviously a pretty articulate fellow. He's somebody who's willing to act. He kills an Egyptian. He, he drives away a full flock of, of sheep herders who are, who are trying to harm women. So there's a pretty good case that Moses is the guy. But he says, it's not me. And he keeps emphasizing it's not me. Right? Exodus 4.1, he does the same thing. He says, the people are not going to believe me. They're not going to heed my voice. They'll say the Lord has not appeared to you. Why would they possibly believe me? And he's not zealous for himself. He's saying they're not going to listen to you because I'm an imperfect messenger. I'm not the guy. And Moses keeps emphasizing this all the way through the Bible. He keeps saying to God, I'm not the guy. This is why at the very end of the Bible, when he turns to, to the Jewish people, and he says, listen, I didn't want to be the guy. <laughs> right? You, and you people have been such a pain in my butt. The entire, the entire last four books of Moses, you've just been an entire pain in my rear. But I stood up for you over and over. The greatness of Moses is that, again, he's, he's zealous for God, and in his zealotry for God, he understands he's an imperfect vessel. In Exodus 4.10, uh, he says, I beseech you, O Lord, I'm not a man of words, neither from yesterday nor from the day before yesterday, nor from the time you have spoken to your servant, for I am heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue. And again, he's saying, it's not about him being humiliated. It's about him saying, listen, God, if you're going to pick somebody, why don't you pick the best guy? Why don't you pick somebody who's really going to be good at this? And God says, it's because you know that you're not the best guy that I'm going to pick you. And it's also because you know you're not going to be popular that I'm going to pick you, right? Moses said just a minute ago that the people aren't going to believe me. I'm not popular with those people. They see me as an outsider. I'm not even one of them. I grew up in Pharaoh's palace. Why would they possibly listen to me? And God picks Moses specifically because of these shortcomings, because he's not a man of words, because Moses is not a person who is going to be accepted by the people, because he's not one of them. God picks Moses because God wants to show that God can pick any vessel he chooses in order, to, in order to push what he wants to happen. And also because only the people who understand how flawed they are are capable of standing or even kneeling in the presence of God. You have to understand your own flaws in order to understand that your job is not to do your will. Your job is to do God's will. Moses understands that perfectly. That's the thing that Moses really does understand. It's why God treats Moses better than he's ever treated any other person. According to Judaism, it's why Moses is a prophet beyond which no one will ever go, according to, according to the Jewish faith. 
and it's a model for all leaders. All leaders should understand that they're not just there to do the people's will. They're there to do the right thing. But they should go, they should go to it with the humility that comes with understanding you're a flawed human being. And that means that outsized egos, understanding that, that believing that everything you say is inherently right, or following the people too much, believing everything that the people say is inherently right. All of these are deep flaws. You have to attend to your job with the humility of knowing that you're not the right guy because no one is the right guy. And I hope and pray that as, as Donald Trump approaches the inauguration, let's all hope that, that he starts learning some of these lessons because true leadership is understanding your flaws, understanding your mission, and being willing to, to follow that mission despite your flaws and in service of something higher. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 